0: What do you know about that, man? That
1: was pretty fun.
2: (laughs) All right, let's jump into it. All right. Because we only got, what, 45 minutes? You got to go to lunch?
0: Yeah, we're taking Michael. You know, Michael's leaving.
2: I know, I just got the, he was in the office here yesterday, and I was talking to him about some business stuff, and then he, I got the email 20 minutes later. I was like, well, heck. Oh, well, let's jump into it. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host.
0: I hope everyone's doing well.
2: And then today's guest, Jay Harala. Jay, and uh, what? so what's your what's your uh, title? I'm the fisheries program coordinator slash research biologist for the
1: Stream Investigations Branch.
2: So, stream Investigations Branch. Yep. So now that you tell me your title, I've got more questions. But Lee told me beforehand that you were the man when it came to Streams in the state of Kentucky. He said, you know where the best smallmouth places are? The best musky places?" And he said, "You know a lot about catfishing on the Ohio River."
1: Also, I, I can help you out with all of that. <laughs> okay, good.
2: And so, my first question, I mean, and right off the bat, you said stream investigation. Mm-hmm. So, if there's a fish kill, is that something you you are looking into? When I think of investigations, I think of something like that. So,
1: you know, we are actually a research branch. Okay. Uh, so, so most of our work uh, will have a specific project mm-hmm. associated with it. Now, we do do... Uh just some typical monitoring work that a lot of our districts also do Uh Uh, but we stick to moving waters that the districts may not have time for or they don't have the equipment to do okay the fish kill aspect of it is typically handled by either the district biologists or the environmental or our environmental section
2: okay i was going to say i know there was just a fish kill was it drake which which creek was
1: it uh clear Clear fork or gasper gasper
2: Gasper creek yeah i saw where there was just a fish kill there and then i also saw where four thousand barrels of bourbon Went down, was it yesterday? Somewhere in West Kentucky yesterday. But you know, I know that's affected creeks before in the past, yep. but I'm not sure if this one's going I've, to or not.
0: Didn't look
1: like I haven't heard anything yet. I'm still not sure which distillery it was and what watershed it'd be in. Uh,
2: but uh, I, I, was it which one collapsed last year? Was it Jim Beam? Se, 17, no, Barton.
1: 1792 Barton. Okay, uh, and that did go in a creek. It went into a very small creek that dumped into Beach, Beach Fork, yeah. and I think most of the fish that were affected there were actually Asian carp. Good. It was a predominant fish. <laughs> well, but there, but there were a thank lot you, Barton. Nat- <laughs> <laughs> Let's go pour more tomorrow. There also uh, a lot of na-
2: native species affected yeah. right there as well. That's something, you know. So basically, we don't have a whole lot of time today, so I'm going to try to roll through this quickly. Lee has lunch, like we said, but, but you can see my notes here. They're about as minimal as it gets. <laughs> Have I've, all, I've
0: made up for it. I've got a lot of questions. Well, so. I
2: say I have almost nothing here. But the reason I have almost nothing is because on Instagram this morning, I put out on both my page and the Kentucky Field page that we were doing the podcast and I asked people for questions. So I have, like, listener-submitted questions. So I was going to go through those, and some of them are, are, are pretty good, and some of them relate to Asian carp, and most of them are related to streams and things like that. So I thought maybe we could jump into some of those. All right. And, of course, I'm sure when we start talking about something, I'm going to have more questions. Sure. So we can branch off a little to. bit. Let's do it. Let's see. I'm going to pull up Instagram here real quick. Probably should have done this already. All right. Start at the beginning two hours ago. West Virginia Bassman, how do floods affect fish populations? And I'm guessing he's talking about the last two years have been like the wettest two years I can remember. So, does that heavy flow coming through a creek affect, affect that how they was spawn? One of my
1: yeah. So. You know, there's been a lot of work done on, I'm going to relate this to smallmouth, uh, because I think that's what most stream fishermen are probably interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of studies done, and and high water can definitely affect the spawn. Um, You know, you get a prolonged high water event during the spawn, even if the the fish are to get a successful spawn off, Mm -hmm. those fry, the chance for survival is going to decrease, because they've got to be able to find forage. Mm you know, smallmouth bass are visual predators. Mm -hmm. If that water is extremely turbid, they're gonna have a tough time finding that forage. Um, It may actually affect the uh, productivity of said spawn for other fish species and plankton blooms that these fish are gonna need uh, in those early stages. That makes sense. Um, So low water would typically be best uh, or or moderate flows Mm -hmm. to also keep the dissolved oxygen and other uh factors that can affect the spawn best so a flood
2: if it's prolonged there's a good chance that it could affect the spawn something i learned the other day while i was out with jeff crosby um what he was talking about muddy water in ponds mainly caused by channel catfish and by carp or um undesirable you know species mm-hmm. of carp can make the water muddy and he told me that bass are site feeders which is something i hadn't really thought a whole lot about before but mm-hmm. so you're saying that muddy water could have as much of an effect as the moving water
1: uh, to some extent, okay. uh, y- you know, a lot of it is going to be able, especially for those small fish, we've seen this on the Ohio river on, on some previous studies is, uh, even if we stock fingerlings, uh-huh. if we get high water, a lot of times the survival of those stocked fingerlings, uh, will be low and, and the working theory is because forage is because of potential foraging issues related to, uh, turbidity or perhaps the flow, uh, uses mm-hmm. a lot of energy Mm-hmm. Uh, for those fish to, it makes it harder for
2: them to survive. Somebody asked a question, I'm going to try to find it real quick, specifically about stocking creeks. Do, do our creeks and our streams rely more on stocking, or is it natural reproduction? So we have very few species that we stock into creeks, and the, the only thing
1: I can think of off the top of my head uh, would be channel catfish go into a handful of creeks, and we have some cold water streams that get trout or seasonally get trout.
0: Um lunch do we put some? Uh, yes,
1: yes, thank you, uh, Lee. We do stock several creeks with musky. Uh, Tiger's Creek and Kenny Connect Creek. Uh, Forks of the Kentucky, I believe, mm-hmm. also get some. There's a few other. Um, but we don't stock smallmouth or rock bass. Um, we don't raise those in our hatchery. Um, I'd have to talk with the hatcheries. I, I don't think that those are the easiest fish to raise. Mm-hmm. And I know that rock bass in particular are not highly migratory so we would have to stock those at a lot of different places on yeah. a creek. Um well,
0: several years ago, uh, they did a stocking study of small mouse in selected creeks and found that it, the the impact was negligible. Right. And they did a bunch across the state to make sure it wasn't a localized thing and it you know, they're driven strictly by natural reproduction. They're they stocking pretty good. That makes no difference almost.
1: And occasionally we may restock after a fish kill. Mm -hmm. Um, It may not always be smallmouth or rock bass. Um, And if it is, those are coming from some sort of outside source or hatchery.
2: Yeah. yeah, that that exact that question was actually from Eric Patrick Lane. He said, "How dependent are Kentucky rivers and streams on fish stocking versus reproduction in the wild, and what would happen if we cease fish stocking?" So you're saying right. in the creeks, pretty much nothing.
1: Yeah, on our creeks, we're not getting anything. Now we stock a lot of fish into the Kentucky River. I get this question: Why don't you stock fish in the Kentucky River? The, <laughs> Kentucky, the Kentucky River has had more fish of multiple species stocked into it than arguably any other water body in the state. Hmm. Um, we also stock largemouth bass in Ohio River embayments. Um, so so the rivers get get stockings of multiple species, whether it be largemouth, channel catfish, blue catfish, uh, musky in the Kentucky River, sauger in the Kentucky River, um, native walleye through, uh, also go into some of our creeks. I forgot mm-hmm. to mention that. So.
0: Yeah, I was wanting to ask about the kind of the current status of how that's going. I, I found that fascinating that we found a, an isolated population of the original strain of walleye in Rockcastle River, and we've been restoring it for a decade or more.
1: Yeah, um, we are still doing that. It, it is an ongoing uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing success in some streams, uh, most notably is probably Rockcastle Castle River. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually We've kind of termed it the Rock Castle River strain. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that term before. So mm-hmm. Rockcastle River has a, a, a decent population um, and we've, for the most part, the stockings have been contained into the Cumberland River drainage. Uh, in recent years, we've spread that out just because habitat looked good in other mm-hmm. drainages such as the Forks of the Kentucky.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're saying is that we had a, so we used to have walleye in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. and then for some reason pretty much all of them disappeared, but and we were stocking what, Lake Erie walleye? Is that what we were stocking? We were
1: stocking Erie strain walleye uh, in many waters, and that is a lake uh, that strain is more evolved for Mm -hmm. uh, lake environments. This Rock Mm -hmm. Castle River strain is more of a river run uh, walleye strain. It's the original.
0: That was here before. Yes. The the Uh, construction of the lakes is what really put the kibosh on the that and, that and
2: water quality. And okay. waves, yeah. um, so. That makes Impact. sense. Another question uh, related to the Kentucky River. I just yeah. pulled this one up because I knew we were talking about that. This person, uh, Gold Rush Kennels. he says, the old-timers talk about having eels in the streams. I'm 36 years old and have never seen one. What happened to all the eels?
1: So we still see eels on occasion. Kentucky uh, River, for
2: example, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I've actually seen them as far up as Highbridge, okay. which would be Pool 6 or Pool 7, uh, depending on which side that's of right dam there the dam you're
2: on. That's by the Palisades. Yes, mm-hmm. it is in the Palisades. That's so, Jessamine County, Fayette County line. Yep. Yeah.
0: I think that's the highest Palisades in the whole river right there uh, by but, Camp Nelson. Yes. There,
2: isn't it? Um,
1: so we still see them. Uh, they are a migratory mm-hmm. species. Um,
0: They're fascinating. Yeah. their life cycles is so, just fascinating.
1: You know, they're going to be in salt water for for part of their lifetime and then they run up these rivers and, and
2: eventually make their way back. And so those eels so, are coming all the way from from the Caribbean. From the Gulf basically, yes. right? Yes. Coming all like, the way from the Mississippi. Mississippi River. So how many miles is that? Like 2000? A lot. Oh, it's amazing. A lot. And then they come back here. So they go all the way up the Mississippi, all the way up the Ohio, all the way down to Kentucky and end up right there by Fayette County and then you say at some point they go back that seems ridiculous. <laughs> so, and they've got
1: dams to migrate through. Yeah, yeah it's uh, amazing. So, the more and more barriers you put in between a fish and where it needs to be, particularly going upstream, mm-hmm. the harder it's going to be. Yeah. Um, especially with the locks on the Kentucky River, not all of them being operational, to get above that, they're either going to require some sort of
0: flooding break
1: event. in the dam or a flooding event to where the water is. Uh, you know, topping the dam, essentially.
2: I mean, that seems ridiculous, because I had no idea they went all the way from saltwater up. (laughs) And it's not like they... When I I look at an eel, I don't think they're a strong swimmer like your normal fish. Like They're they're not built like a muskie or something. It seems like it can just swim for days or super fast. It's almost like a snake crawling on the ground from here to Colorado. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. That's it's crazy. crazy. You know, we, yeah. Like I say, we don't see
1: a ton of them, but I, f- I feel like we see one or two a year in different water bodies. We've caught them on the Ohio River when we're yeah. out doing well, catfish work. and
0: A guy caught one the other day and contacted me in the Ohio River. It yeah. was a big one. I saw yeah. that.
2: That's why I was saying.
0: And, um, yeah. and, and he caught it on cut bait. He was wondering if we're going to have an American eel state record, which I've it's now a little bit in discussion at the upper ranks, and I don't think a decision's been made, but
2: um, he didn't know what. He was like, what is That's this? That's my, my opinion. Know. I'm not in charge of that, but I think if, we, if the guy caught one, we might I, did, it. I
0: know, but, but he released it and didn't document it, so uh, that one so, would be okay. ineligible anyway. There but,
2: you go.
0: Uh, so, still, it's just, uh, the, they're just fascinating. It's,
2: the first time I ever came across uh, lampreys, I was in the gorge, and I saw, I mean, just masses of lampreys, and for some reason at that point in my life, I thought they were small eels. I had to do some research and figure out because they look almost the I've same. Caught I caught mean... small
0: mouse with lampreys right on their mm-hmm. uh, anal vent. Yep. Yeah. It's like, you, you didn't choose well. <laughs> <laughs> when you're, you're choosing your attachment parts there, Mister Lamprey. You didn't choose very well. Yeah, that's... But I mean the big ones. As long as I've seen them, you know, 12 yeah. inch fish with a 10 inch yeah. lamprey on it. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. But
0: but most of them are are they're natural. They're not like the crazy. Yeah. We do
1: have. Ones. I'd have to talk to our ichthyologist, but I think we have two or three, at least, native
2: species of lampreys. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see them in the gorge. I'm assuming um, those are native species because
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, we we saw them uh, in every stream we did this spring, okay. and we collect them for our ichthyologists to identify them and kind of they're trying to get a baseline on them where they're at. Uh, a lot of people have argued that they're not native, and I, I think they're. They're thinking of sea lampreys when yeah. they're here mm-hmm. Great Lakes. Uh, the sea lampreys are not native to the Great Lakes. I catch uh, some of those occasionally.
2: Uh, not here.
1: But uh, uh, we have several species of native ones. I couldn't name them for you, uh,
2: but they're supposed to be there. They're kind of yeah. cool to find. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the Rick Hill posters uh, yesterday, and you know sometimes I'll just look and I'll, do, I'll look at the fish and see what they are, and he has a lamprey on the side of a spoonbill on the Big River one, I guess, mm-hmm. And I've looked at it, and I said, that took Rick all of two seconds to draw, because it's like, <laughs> he literally just did one little one little line, and that's it. That was the easiest thing he's ever done for us. Not all right, next question here, Jason KY Wild, um, do common carp harm the native wildlife? I guess it's probably situational, right?
1: Hmm. I mean, th- there can definitely be instances. Um, I-, I can think uh, our central district... I don't want to say they harm it, but they can definitely affect a population. Uh, They're taking up biomass. They are muddy in the water as Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about earlier. Um, The central district has had a few lakes with rough fish in them where they've actually removed thousands of pounds of rough rough fish Mm -hmm. in an attempt to free up biomass and uh, increase water clarity to help sport fish such as bass and bluegill uh, take off. Benji Kenman Lake in Henry County was one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe they have seen some increase in relative weight of bass. Um, Don't quote me on that, but uh, the river would flood
0: it every once in a while, correct? Yes, that's how they
1: got into there. Um, But they've also done it, um, I believe, at General Butler State Park, and I think there's talks about doing it on a larger scale. That's already being done at A.J. Jolly.
2: I'll tell you what we were fishing. You talked about Benji came and the river flooding it and common carp. This is, we were fishing uh, a pond near Drennan Creek, not too far away from Benji Kamin the other mm-hmm. day, and it's a pond that the Drennan Creek had gotten up and flooded. And we were fishing it with Jeff Crosby, fisheries biologist, and um, we caught gar. Um, that we saw buffalo. There was all the carp species in there. Drum. It had crappie. You know, out the wazoo. And it's just ridiculous. When I mean, I never have caught a gar in a pond before. Right. So it's kind of ridiculous what can happen when it floods. You kind of Mm -hmm. lose control of the management there. Absolutely. It makes it 10 times harder. And that's part of Asian carp too, right?
0: No, that's what's happened to all those slough lakes and Ballard and all them. They're almost completely Asian carp now.
1: Any connection to the river can, can... you know, allow those yep. fish to migrate into there. And if the river drops out, then they can be stuck in there. Yeah. Well, so. the,
2: ne- the next question was uh, R-bratch 4. It was, um, what can and is being done to combat Asian carp and other invasive species? So just say Asian carp. I know from my buddies that work at the water plant in Shelby County on Guest Creek, those Asian carp are all the way against the dam. And that's a tiny little creek. You know, it flows into Clear Creek, which flows into mm-hmm. Brashears, which flows into the Salt River. So, I mean, they've come all the way up that whole stream, and they're stuck in that tiny little creek. So I'm assuming they're pretty much everywhere that's...
0: I didn't know they'd gotten that far at the beach fork.
2: Yeah, so, you know,
1: when this originally came to the state as a big problem, um, I was actually in charge of the Asian carp branch at that time. Uh It became such a big issue that it was taking away from a lot of my responsibilities and duties. We formed a separate branch for the majority of their duties deals with Asian carp. Yeah, That is now grown to several, several employees. There are five employees just here in Frankfurt and I believe another four or five based in West Kentucky. Yeah, I've met some of them um, before. The Western, we call it's our CSI branch, Critical Species Investigations. The Western branch predominantly deals with commercial fishing out west and mm-hmm. Kentucky Barkley Lakes. Yeah, of course. Um, they're dealing with, uh, a bioacoustic fish fence. Yeah. The bath Uh, system. Yep. That is a little behind schedule, but it's supposed to go in on, I believe it's Barkley Lake tailwater at some
2: point. Mm -hmm. What I understand about that, not to interrupt you, but, um, I think it's behind schedule because of the floodwater. They have to dredge the area. Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I'm not dealing with that directly anymore. So I, I don't have a lot of information on that. Um, but we also, our Frankfurt crew here has, has two kind of projects, to. They do removal, Mm -hmm. um, which has had some success on the Illinois River. Uh, They also monitor uh, in conjunction with USGS and I think US Fish and Wildlife Service do some native sport fish monitoring, Mm -hmm. uh, or not just sport fish, but just native fish monitoring where they're looking at relative weights and population numbers to make sure they're not decreasing big time because of an increased presence of carp. Uh, And we also have, a research biologist looking at uh movements of asian mm-hmm. carp to kind of see are they expanding their range we've got uh receivers out in the river that are allowing us to track some fish okay. we've put tags in that's cool so,
2: so correct me if i'm wrong here and the only reason i know anything at all about the bath system is i'm supposed to go down and film hmm? them actually installing that and i think my first day is going to be this friday to go down there and get some b-roll i'm not sure exactly whatever's available i'm going to film it because we're going to do a show on the bath system going in and Obie's going to do some graphics for us. So I'm going to go down there and get the pre-installment and then when it's installed, we'll go back down and film some stuff. But the reason Asian carp are an issue, I mean, it affects all of our sport fishing, all of our recreation on the lakes and, and whatnot, but we're going to put this bath system and blow the lock on, is it Barkley? Is I it believe right? it's Barkley. It is okay. Barkley. Blow Barkley. And it's bubbles, air, and or bubbles... Sound and lights, right? Mm-hmm. I, I that has that's my
1: right. understanding. Yeah,
2: so it's going to have a bubble wall. It's going to have a sound barrier sound and, barrier it's and shoot flashing you. lights. And the the reason that might work is that Asian carp are extremely sensitive. Their lateral lines that sense, you know, what's going on around them, um, are extremely sensitive compared to other fish. So in theory, they wouldn't be able to swim through, it or they wouldn't want to.
1: That's my general understanding of yeah. it. I haven't where I again where I'm not dealing directly with it. I haven't read into it too yeah. much. Um, you know, definitely interested I've to see this and and, you know, talk to Adam about so I thought it, Leah.
0: So. I think they're going to play Megadeth, like, and just really? crank it in. Really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Death metal, just as loud as possible. There's,
1: there's definitely plenty of fish in, the, in that tail water to test it out on. So yeah, no the, doubt. You uh, know, the, uh, hope, hopefully there'll be some success with it.
2: They're just going to have a uh, ox cord running into the river, and every day some biologist will go plug in uh, Motorhead or Metallica <laughs> or Megadeth or Slayer. <laughs> like Slayer, that. I thought it was the deer. That's funny. The reason that might work, though, and this is just my understanding. I'm no expert, is because there's only been a couple of spawn classes in the lakes yeah, from the Asian since carp.
0: 2010, I think there's been so, two.
2: So they they don't reproduce very well in the lakes. So if you can keep new carp from going into the lakes, then you know in theory you could drop the numbers a whole lot, mm-hmm. which hopefully that works out. Asian carp, I mean, it's been an ongoing battle, and it's not just Kentucky battling it. It's Everybody. every state along the Mississippi River and all the watersheds of the Mississippi. So I think they've somehow kept them out of the Great Lakes so far, and I think it has something to do with the, an electronic fence or yeah. barrier. It's similar to what we're using or what we're going to try out. Let me see if I can find the next question. Hunter Pelly, different types of bait to use for certain times of year. I'm guessing he's talking about smallmouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you probably know a lot more about that than I would. I just go out there and fish, and if something's biting, then I'm happy camper, and I'll switch it up if mean, they aren't.
1: I mean, I'll start with the easiest. that will probably work, you know, nine times out of ten is some sort of live bait, either mm-hmm. be it a little minnow or a creek chub. Yeah. Uh, you know, crawfish. if you can get them, crawfish. Live crawfish. I love crawfish
2: uh, in the creeks. I mean, that's what they're eating, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, yeah.
0: See, Silver Creek used to have, that could have impacted it. Silver Creek, at times, you could walk and there would be so many crayfishes, like clouds would flow away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the whole bottom in some holes would be nothing but crayfish.
2: We were talking about before I actually started recording uh, different fishing we'd done in different creeks and using bait. Uh, I used to use creek chubs a lot. And I told you that I would go downstream to the riffle and I would catch these creek chubs with a cast net take them 50 yards upstream to the deep holes and toss them in that the reason that was effective is probably because that's what those smallmouths were eating already mm-hmm. if i was catching creek chubs right there it's a good chance that's what they yep. oh, yeah. So it's the same thing if if you see a bunch of crawdads in a creek chances yep. are a crawdad there's
0: no shame in yeah. using live bait especially no. in a
2: day of circle no. oh, so, yeah. you know so yeah.
1: and you know if you're going to uh, if you prefer artificial uh, you know my philosophy is keep it small Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of big forage in some of these smaller creeks. So if you throw something they're not used to, you may just spook them off. Uh, I like a three inch Senko and Mm -hmm. I just try and match the water color. Um, If the water's up and it's a little bit darker, I'm going to throw green pumpkin, Uh uh, black, something like that. If it's the middle of summer, uh, if I'm not fishing topwater of some some type, uh, you know, and I'm throwing a Senko, it's going to be white or smoke or clear even. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like to rig it wacky, uh, I think I, I, it gives a little bit more movement. Uh, it falls a little bit slower which I which I think helps a lot and if you get it in a riffle it just kind of tumbles. Yep. And you uh, catch
0: rock bass on that as well, don't on you?
1: A, on a three inch Senko rigged up the right way with a little size 2 hook, I just
0: wrote that in a piece I'm working on. You, uh,
1: <laughs> you can catch some, some really good rock bass on that same bait. Um, you know, two or three inch tube bait works really good in, in some of the creeks around here too. So
2: I want to talk about that rock bass again here in a second because I know Lee's been writing a story on it. It might be mm-hmm. an overlooked species, but while we were talking about baits, one bait that I really like to use in the creeks lately I've been using a TRD worm, mm-hmm. which is not too. too far off a of cinco. It's pretty mm-hmm. similar. I mean,
0: yeah, it's and I've destroyed them on that. Yep. I mean, I almost feel like I've I've got to quit throwing this. But then uh, your buddy, Called I, I went out to Arkansas and I quit throwing it for a while because I was like, I can't throw this anymore. I've thrown it and thrown it and thrown it. And they were killing me, so I had to go back and put it back
2: on. <laughs> I, like I mean, it's, it's just deadly. I like a little swim bait too, mm-hmm. like a Kaitech, like a three inch Tech, And I Texas rig it so it doesn't mm-hmm. get snagged up in the creek. And I found with that Kitek, you can jig it along the bottom, just yep. like it almost looks like a dying bait fish, mm-hmm. workers, just like a worm, or you can swim it. And it's useful in the creeks because you might have slack water, you might have moving water. So, if you got moving water, just cast it out there and swim it just like a minnow or something. And if you got slack water, then you have the option you can, you know, twitch it on the bottom just like a jig, or you can run it like a swim bait. So, I, I just feel like that's one of the more flexible baits a Texas rigged swim bait. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, that's what I've tossed probably more than anything in the creeks the past year or two. I also think it depends on time of year. Um, Earlier this spring, I would go and sight fish smallmouth on the bed, right? Mm-hmm. And I would literally just flip a rock, find a crawdad, mm-hmm. put that crawdad on, on a little hook and toss it right in that bed, and it was 90% of the time yep. that fish was going to pick that crawdad up. Mm-hmm. And it might not eat the crawdad, but it'll pick it up and hold it in its mouth and swim it off. And it, if you go to set the hook, you might hook up 50% of the time. Yeah. But I'm, you can put that crawdad right back in that smallmouth bed, yep. and it's going to do the same thing over and over. And that's one of the, I like sight fishing. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of fun when you can see the fish. The anticipation's a little bit different. I don't know. That's why I like gar fishing. Also, I think gar and Swamouth on the bed with live bait. It's a lot of fun.
0: One of my favorites for summer is to take a three to four inch, you know, sluggo style jerk bait and nose hook it with a wide gap finesse worm like you'd use for a drop shot, and just and it has enough heft that it'll get down. Yep. And you fish it weightless, and it just goes in that death spiral. And when it's low and clear, the coolest thing is you'll watch it disappear because 'cause you'll see him hit it, and then all of a sudden, or see you'll it see a wake
1: from a fish come yeah, after. Yeah,
0: it. just come after. But it's so cool to see, oh, disappearing and, then oh, boom and it's just one of the coolest. And it's it's sight fishing too. It's yep. it's uh it's really cool. But I noticed that by you get into late summer, that pattern disappears. But huh. r- right now, June is a really good month for it.
2: It is funny how the creeks can change over the course of the the year: spring, summer, fall. I don't really creek fish a lot in the winter because. I like to be out there chest deep in the creek, and it's mm-hmm. not the most enjoyable thing. And
0: uh, I think once they get about 45 degrees, they go dormant in the creek, don't you think? I mean, they, I, they go I, on the I have actually
2: or? fished Elkhorn in February.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have too. Now, right. I may only catch three fish, but there's a good chance I'm going to catch a three-pounder. And mm-hmm. a three-pounder out of a creek is a pretty dang good fish.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. I've, I've fished in late February, but I've so, tried in January, but...
1: You know, that's just one of those days where the creek's down, and you are got cabin fever, and maybe you get a 50-degree day in February, and mm-hmm. you just feel like you got to go do something, and... Mm-hmm. You put your waders on and you go spend an hour out there or something yeah. like that.
2: So. so talking about the creek changing throughout the year, um, this this next question, uh, Jake T. Fishing, he said, talk about Brashears. And I asked him anything in particular. He said Pickett's Dam. He says he's not seeing the same number of smallmouths that Pickett's Dam used to. You guys familiar with Pickett's Dam? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like to fish Pickett's Dam quite a bit too. And I told him that uh, my favorite time to fish Pickett's Dam, and this might just be a theory in my head that has no relevance at all no truth to it but i like to fish below the dam in the heat of the summer when the water's kind of stagnant everywhere else because i feel like that water coming over the dam is going to be more oxygenated mm-hmm. right there below the dam i feel like i in the heat of the summer on hot days when it's been hot for a while i can pull good smallmouths right out of where that current's coming over that dam and i'm not sure if it has something to do with the flooding or what's been going on is there a reason that the smallmouth might not be there like they were
1: you know, we don't have any data on Brashears Creek. It is one we're looking at if we get some new equipment uh, that we've kind of tabled it until uh-huh. we get the right equipment to sample it. Uh, I do know where he's talking about on Pickens Dam. Uh, it could have something to do with that. If you've got higher flow, your water is going to be more oxygenated river wide. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you've got extremely low flow, let's just say a drought year, it's August, early September. It hasn't, we haven't gotten a tenth of an inch of rain in yeah. a month and a half. Well, that hasn't happened here for two years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, you've, you're gonna have holes of water that you can still walk through. Yeah. Um, those fish are gonna be in that, try to get in that little deeper water. That colder water is gonna hold more oxygen. Uh, they're, st- they're still gonna wanna be kinda right above or right below riffles where that water's trying to move a little bit. Uh, and obviously, coming over that dam, that water's gonna be moving. When it falls and you get some more turbulence, it, it puts more oxygen into the air. Yeah. Um, and then obviously they can't go above the dam, so mm-hmm. they're kind of stuck there anyway, but there's also good water conditions compared elsewhere on the stream. So it makes sense that in the summertime you'd have a congregation of fish right there, um, and, and potentially even, you know, in the spring if those fish are trying to run up and maybe do some spawning somewhere or something. Um, but high water, I mean, it can definitely spread fish out. Um, I don't know that that's
2: the only reason he's yeah. having issues, but well, as far not- as
1: us having data to back up, there being more or less smallmouth, we don't have that for Bashirs Creek.
2: I, uh, yeah, obviously we haven't sampled it yet, but I mean, I went down there two years ago when I was catching 18, 19 and smallmouth out of the creek. That's pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. And I've been down, you know, two or three times over the past couple of months and I haven't had a whole lot of luck either, but... I was kinda of thinking, the the technique I like to use on dams like that, and what's that called? Like a boil over dam? What's that That's a, a low, head low, dam. low head dam. Um when the water's low and that water's just barely coming over, you know, it's still bubbling. And when it's bubbling like that, that's oxygen going into the water, right? So if you think about when that water comes over, there's about like six or six inches to a foot of slack water on the backside mm-hmm. in between the dam and where that water's actually flowing over at. I like to cast and get my rod tip down in that section, so I'm actually swimming the bait between where the water's rolling over at and the dam, and I feel like that slack water right there against the wall, right where that oxygen's coming in at, I, I just tear them up right there. And I mean, I feel like I almost fish them out. I'll catch four or five, and then all of a sudden I'll just be done and yeah. come back the next day and you can catch more. But say somebody's fishing Elkhorn or just any general creek and they're looking at a riffle if you see that bubbling white water when the water's real low and kind of hot heat of the summer is that a spot they should focus on i
1: mean mm-hmm. if that water's low mm-hmm. i'd be hard pressed to waste my time in in a pooled up area unless it's got some depth to it okay mm-hmm. uh you know it, it, my favorite place to fish on Elkhorn is softly bottom oh i love it um, it's got some deep water to where I can fish all that water in the heat of the summer. Uh-huh. Now, if I go other places like TN Sullivan, uh-huh. there's one deep hole, but you get past that deep hole, and I feel
2: like I'm wasting my time. And that deep hole you're talking about it's actually on the softly bottom side, isn't it? Are you talking about when you go around the right-hand bend from Canoe, Kentucky, and you go down there? just Because it gets to be a real flat shelf on Sullivan at one point.
1: Yeah, yeah it, but that, it'd, be that's it'd be downstream of that. I like
2: yeah. to
0: go upstream. That's a good deep yeah, There's that, two, that's There's two or three deep, deep there. and then that but, little S-curve hole. But above that, I don't catch crap from there almost all the way back to Musy Stretch. But that big, long, flat.
1: You know, in the heat of the summer, bedrock is, if you see water that's just flat and it doesn't look like it's moving much, it's mm-hmm. not something that I'm going to spend a lot of time throwing a bait yeah, into. That's yeah, true. I, I want to get to where I know that water is moving a little bit, which is going to be right above, right below a riffle. Or if you get a real tight hairpin bend, you want to fish the outside of that bend where that current is flowing along. It's going to be a little deeper. You're going to have water moving through there, uh, which one better oxygen, probably a little bit lower temperature than something that's up on a shallow bend. Yeah. And it's bringing food down to them. That's mm-hmm. true. You know, they're they're a ambush site predator. Uh-huh. So if foods if there's flow there, foods going to be coming by. They you know it's perfect uh-huh. storm for them.
2: One spot I always like to fish, especially from downstream, casting upstream, if you've got a riffle coming through and you got slack water, you know, kind of hidden behind mm-hmm. some rocks or something, I like to ride that line right between yeah, the riffles. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that seam is where they're
2: uh, I, I uh, feel slaying. like those fish are just sitting I mean. there in that still water watching the buffet yeah, go
0: watching by. Watching the them. buffet go by and yep. they pick one off every right,
1: once in a r- while. You know, right time of year, right water conditions on Elkhorn Creek, you, you can throw the same bait below a riffle and catch 10 fish on 10 casts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You find the right spot. For you know, sure. you may have a bunch of
2: eight inchers but you're gonna Still. you're gonna catch a keeper or two out of there. Yeah, and I've, there's not a fish in Elkhorn that's personally a keeper for me. Mm-hmm. Croppy, right. <laughs> crappie and yeah. sauger probably, but as far as bass fishing out there, I just I just let them go. That's yep. if somebody wants to keep one, I have nothing against it. I mean, I've I've, I've just remember the slot. Yep. Yeah, I've ridden past guys before that have a whole stringer of them hooked up there out there live bait fishing off the uh, out of the WMA sometimes mm-hmm. and. I mean, the regs are there for a reason. I'm assuming it's okay yep. to keep them, but I personally don't keep them on Elkhorn. This guy, Bluegrass Patriot, he was asking about uh, removing old low head dams that are no longer needed. He said they back up water um, and silt and leave sections of the stream or creek with slack water that is um, yeah. not conductive to smallmouth. So, are there some dams that aren't needed anymore? That is there been anything? Well, if I
1: could remove them all, I would. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, get to work. So, man. get your <laughs>
2: pickaxe in. <accent>. So we- <laughs>
1: There are several. The, the problem a lot of times okay. is is ownership of the dam. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to use uh, Old Lock and Dam Six on Green River, mm-hmm. which was just upriver from Brownsville, Kentucky. Um, there were actually plans in the works to take that out. Before that got finalized or anything, the dam failed. Yes. There was a breach in the dam. It, that is a very Thank high- Thank you,
0: Mother Nature. <laughs> yes. I have loaded that section now that's been. The
1: very high use area uh, between Nolan River above it um, and Brownsville obviously below and Mammoth Cave above it became a public safety issue. Yes. Um, I believe U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service kind of took over that project and came in and removed the dam. Mm -hmm. Um, But that lock and dam was owned by the Corps of Engineers. They also own Lock and Dam 5 on Green River and Lock and Dam 1 on Barron. Yeah.
0: I think Lock and to, Dam 1 will be one of those that to, nature takes care of yeah. pretty soon.
1: So ownership of the dam right now is by the Corps. Uh-huh. They would like to give up ownership to that. The problem is it becomes a liability issue, be it public safety, uh, whatever, that the department or the township that is going to take over that aren't quite sure how to deal with right now. Yeah, um, But there are plans and potential, I, there may have been a feasibility study done on removal of those two dams. Um, but if they come out, it would restore a lot more running water, which as this um, uh, Instagram yeah. uh, post has said, you know, that slack water that's created by these low head dams would go away. Yeah. That, now there could be potential issues with the silt behind the dam that could be released downstream and either cause a fish kill or have he- heavy siltation downstream. Um, but you know, I haven't been back into the Mammoth Cave area since they uh, completely removed the dam. I was there when it fell out mm-hmm. uh, and, and helped do some muscle recovery down there. Um, well, you and I were on the same boat yep. doing that. Um, and there was some silt, but it also exposed a lot of rock yeah. uh, in the, above the dam. A part of
0: Mammoth Cave now looks
1: whew, just yeah, over so, time.
0: Give that ten years, that'll be smallmouth heaven. Yeah,
1: I mean it, it'll take a little time, I think, for for smallmouth in particular to kind of make their way down uh, into that more suitable habitat. Um, but I, but I think it'll get there. I mean that the rest of that pool up above it, up to Green River Lake, uh, is phenomenal habitat for smallmouth mm-hmm. and really good population of smallmouth. So. Okay. Um, a specific, Along those you know, lines, of, uh, absolutely. If we can, rem- you know, to answer his question, it, it becomes an ownership deal, and then the money to remove it. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people would like to see more of them out. The uh, problem with a lot of them not coming out is they're there to provide water for a township. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are private dams where the farmers like sometimes pump for their tobacco base. Way back when that. they had to have approval, a farmer would just put a dam on a creek mm-hmm. and water
2: so from a, so we, yeah. irrigate or so get irrigate water for his cattle that. or whatever. Yeah. Specific dams he was asking about were Robinson and Georgetown and the one at the Forks,
1: mm-hmm.
2: of uh, the Elkhorn. Yeah. The one at the Forks, I think,
1: has water intake on it somewhere. Yeah. I think that's for the mussel Hat. A facility gets that's water where we get, they get the water, but I, that's I,
0: Macklin Dam. That was built by.
1: I um, think the, but they might be talking about the Jim Beam one. There's talk about the uh, Jim Beam the Dam Jim, coming out. Yeah,
2: really. Yes. That would be a steep drop if that so, came out. I'd have to so guess. the only thing
1: mm-hmm. that's whole, that they're they're in talks about that right now. I've heard. That. I think that the old Granddad plant there for Jim Beam just needs a different water source. Yeah,
0: for because that's uh, for fire prevention. Yes, because yes. they're not
1: bottling anything there. Or they, they are bottling, they're not distilling. But they're not distilling right now. So they yeah. don't need water for the to make liquor or anything like that. Um that would just be yeah, for their fire system. Um hmm. and then Robinson Dam. I don't know if that is privately owned or or what. I know exactly what he's talking about. It's the one below Great Crossings mm-hmm. and that stretch from below Great Crossings to where it is impounded is Phenomenal The, the flood of
0: 1997 took it out, and the Corps repaired it.
2: So it's a
1: Corps-owned dam. But
0: basically I, believe, it comes I think, think they licensed that one, because I remember that. So, it went around the side of it and took that pool out, and then they started seeing small and stuff return more to... So right,
1: like and there, there may be some private stream. interest in that as to why that got rebuilt. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Jeff Crosby with the
2: Central District may have a better idea on that. I know we're running short on time lee has to take off but yeah. i wanted to hit on a couple of things before we yeah. so basically it comes down to ownership and money on the dams yeah. and if we could remove them we'd probably like to see that happen because it would improve the streams right just natural flow uh rusty McKelrath also asked that question earlier about the bass spawn and the flooding one thing i want to talk about while you're we talking about the dams being removed you were talking about uh, Lock and dam number six on the green river there's a youtube video a uh, removal of Lock and Dam number six that kentucky field actually produced with u.s department of fish and wildlife yes and it explains why it was such a, a danger. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it was built on basically pillars like telephone poles, mm-hmm. and when that concrete collapsed, those pillars became like a sieve, because mm-hmm. the water was still rushing through there, and if you went in there, you weren't coming out. Yep. It was, in, I mean, when I watched that video, I was like, wow, that's actually really impressive and kind of scary, I understand completely, but I, uh, there was two more real quick Instagram questions I wanted to get to, or you are in a hurry, right, Lee?
0: No, but one thing I wanted to ask, Real quick, based on your population sampling, what are your three favorite smallmouth streams in
1: Kentucky? There you go. Uh, well, m- before the fish kill, uh, Gasper River was, was one of our, our best streams. Now, we haven't been back since this. But that was a
0: fork of it, hopefully it didn't. Did it get all the way down uh, to the main stem?
1: Again, I'd was have to talk. that clear
0: fork is great fishing, too. That's made me I'd have to sick. talk
1: with our southwest district biologist on, on that and. You know we need to talk to him about resampling that um, either this fall or next spring potentially. I love
0: the gasper. I've got some um, big ones in there myself.
1: You know, but if we take if we take that out, um, Elkhorn Creek is going to be at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, South Fork Licking River is another good one. That's mm-hmm. got great access. It uh, does.
0: And the green,
1: old pool six of green from the dam down to. Uh, Really, Mumfordville mm-hmm. uh, it is great. Um, North Fork Elkhorn, in in the in the uh, riffle pool sections of that is great. Uh, and then another one that's down there, close to Old Pool Six, that we that we got onto this spring was Russell Creek, and uh, yeah. man, just mm-hmm. great great numbers and really good size of fish there as well. So you got a bunch of data in front and, of you there. S- I, I just Fork, got some Kentucky lists of too. fish here. Yeah, South Fork, Kentucky River is another good one that I kind of uh, passed by. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and
1: then, up, uh, Buck Creek was another one we got yeah, on this spring. And uh,
0: Favorite float in Kentucky lot, probably. a Lot
1: of good access on it, whether you want to wade or float, um, you can check out. I think you've got a blue water trail on Buck and Creek. And that's one
0: thing I wanted to... Uh Access our uh, canoeing and kayaking page that we now have under the boat tab on the website and the excellent stream fisheries page that you and David Baker have been working on for years. Pictures of the accesses, where you can go, public water, perfect flow levels, population sampling, even lure recommendations its fabulous. And on that is also the link to uh, the Blue R Trail series that I've, I've written. That's That takes a little bit more longer view, but they, we're both playing on the same ground. But if you're yep. a stream fisherman. Yeah, new
1: new streams will get added to that stream fisheries webpage on an annual basis. Um, they take a little while for us to make. Uh, so typically when we slow down in the winter, we take our spring and fall data and we start putting it into those web pages and usually around February or March of that following year, there'll be some new ones pop up on there.
2: Cool. Do you have to go, Lee? Yes, I do. All right. Well, me, do you have 15 or yeah, 20 minutes? Yeah, I stay as cool. long as you need to. Yeah, me and Joe, hang out. Why don't you just unclip your microphone there, and I'll turn it off.
0: Cool. Yeah, I've got to go take it. Cool, man. It's a good one, I think. Yeah. People are going to like this one.
2: Well, I'm going to keep I still have more questions, and I wanted to ask Jay about uh, sure. catfishing the Ohio River also. So, I'm going to turn your mic off, Lee, and you cool. can go take Michael out to lunch. Yep. We're going to go to Longhorn. That's Michael
0: Loves Longhorn. <laughs> I'm going to have to crush your burger, probably. Don't no, you think?
2: Hey, i
0: appreciate it, it. I hey have man have to have you on again I'll be, absolutely
2: uh, i'll give you a call lee i appreciate it i'll give you a call later on when this goes out or i'll send you an email good
0: good deal uh maybe we should have one just on musky streams sometime
2: hey whenever yeah
0: people you know they're interested as
2: hell man. Yeah, you gotta let me know where i can catch some musky but <laughs> maybe i'm asking about
0: it <laughs> yeah T- all
2: right, man. take it easy. take off but, uh, you know. hey no problem lee have a good one <laughs> see I oh, I don't need to call. you can just shut that all right one one of these other questions from Instagram here, Scott Croom, my good friend Scott Croom. He's—I mean, I—I I, I know Scott not that well. He's been on the podcast before, okay. so um, it's Rachel Croom's husband, actually. You know Rachel? Um, yeah. Uh, he asked about the uh, any effects of the seven barges of coal going in the river last year. He's talking about right there above McAlpine.
1: Yeah. So we we didn't again. We, we talked earlier about fish kills, and we don't deal directly with them, but. Uh, obviously, that much coal goes into a river, there's got to be some sort of effect. But we've not heard anything about any large-scale uh-huh. uh, uh, fish kills or anything like that. Um, you know, noticed. when that happened, I believe that was like last August. Something like that. So right after that, Cabela's had a catfish tournament, and they put in in Jeffersonville, Indiana, uh-huh. which is two miles above where that spill happened. uh uh-huh two miles that, below there's above the ramp is above yeah okay uh, and they were you know it was one of the best tournaments that I've ever attended you know mm-hmm. we were gathering data uh, as far as number of fish and size of fish mm-hmm. uh, now what helped that was probably the river was up quite a bit mm-hmm. we got a lot of rain and the river was up so solution to pollution is dilution yep more water carried that all down. Okay. Uh, it, it didn't allow that coal to kind of sit there in one spot and stagnate and, um, yeah, and create uh,
2: poor water conditions. That's a lot of coal. But now, if
1: there's going to be any long-term effects, I, we, I can't speak to that at this there's, point. There's so I
2: much just... water going through that river. I'm, I'm obviously the furthest thing from an expert possible, but so much water is pushing through that river, pushing through that dam. I mean, even a large amount of coal like that, it's got to dilute pretty well. Uh, you know, so I'm sure some of it's
1: soluble, but I got to imagine there's still a lot of coal sitting, sitting right there. So
2: but. is it tumbling downstream or is it getting caught in, in areas and sticking?
1: I guess it's it take, tough to say. it takes divers it, to do you know, something like yeah. that. So, huh. I've not dealt with a whole lot of coal spills, uh, to, yep. to be able to tell you exactly yep. what's going on. Thank with God. It. But, uh, you know, we've, We've sampled uh, catfish below that since it's happened and we're we're still seeing fish. And yeah. I've been on that Candleton pool which would be below where that happened quite a bit and uh since it's happened and haven't
2: seen fish floating, yeah. you know, and uh, uh coal's used as a filter for some things. It can be, yes. But I'm assuming that there's raw and Yeah, this is un uncleaned, unscrubbed. Yeah. So it would really oh. be the kind of the dust or the, the really small particles that would be an issue, right? That's, I say right like I have any idea. Yeah, I mean,
1: again, I, I don't know enough about the chemistry of coal and how yeah. how it's going to play out. But
2: So I'm going to get to this last question, and then I want to come back to the cafe. This might be the last question. Um, this is something I was actually curious about uh, yesterday. I told you I was looking at the fish ID posters mm-hmm. yesterday, and I saw this fish, and I thought, you know, I've never even seen one of those. And this person actually asked about it. Um, a Nort one on instagram it's a little late in the year but ask him about the quillback sucker run i don't know much about it and uh and he also wants to know where they are and the quillback sucker is a fish i've never seen in person
1: yeah so it it's really more of a, a little bit bigger river fish um
2: and it, for people who don't know it has like a, a tall fin it almost looks like a
1: yeah so if you take the dorsal fin and you lay it down just flat you're not going to see much of it, but if you extend that up, it's almost going to look like an antenna that's coming off the first spine or first ray of that fin. And in some fish, it may extend almost back to the dorsal fin. Yeah. Um, uh, they're kind of, you know, really neat looking fish are elongated and, and really built to be in a river. Um, We see them quite a bit on the Ohio River, uh, particularly on like shallow, sandy flats. Mm -hmm. So if we're out shocking for catfish, we're in a deep channel and we get a little too too close to a bank or the head of an island where it gets shallow, we may see a bunch of them just Mm -hmm. scatter. Um, We see them on the Kentucky River from time to time. Um, I don't... I can't say I've ever seen any in, in smaller creeks or, you know, riffle run areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talks about them running. Uh, a lot of those sucker fish that are in rivers will make a springtime run. I know old timers used to talk about going gigging for suckers yeah. in the creeks. We're and, supposed and to do that like with somebody that. So, sometime soon. Um, I, and I'm not sure of the timing on that, but... Um, I would think we're a little late in the year for that. I think it was April. I, I would think we'd be talking late March through April. Yeah.
2: We were supposed um, to go sucker gigging with a, with an older guy. Yep. Who uh, he goes and he gigs white suckers and then he cans them. I never yep. had heard of it. Like I never had seen it. fish cakes and stuff like that. Never seen anything like it. So I was kind of interested. But we missed our opportunity this year. But I think he said April. So that, similar. I mean, you
1: get, I can't remember when gigging and snagging season for Rough Fish is. I think it's February through April, I would April have to 15th look. through something? Let's see. It, uh, it'd be in our calendar somewhere.
2: Yeah, I don't have it on this uh, on this guide. And I'm not, I'm not going to go look there, it up. There
1: is a season for gigging fish. That's uh, on the
2: website. So, It's on the website somewhere. Let's see. I'm going to try to see if I have any more. Okay, here's a weird question. I might post this picture on the Kentucky Field page later. Um, Caudill 48 sent me this, and he said, Can you explain why this bass is this color and like I said for people who are listening can't see, that bass is orange. It's like an orange smallmouth.
1: So I've seen this once before not in person but
2: a a different picture and it looks like a goldfish but it's a smallmouth bass.
1: I'm not actually sure uh, whether it's just some sort of pigment uh, variation or some sort of genetic type deal. I bet there's another biologist
2: that could probably answer it better. Do you know who that might be? Because I might ask. Uh, I, I, I just I was thinking about posting that picture to the Kentucky Field page, and if I'm going to post it, I'd like to have an answer. So I don't know if it... I mean, it's very rare, I'm assuming. So
1: Our ichthyologist, Matt Thomas, may know. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've seen that one other time, and I think I just kind of passed it by, like, well, that's kind of weird, wonder what that is. And
2: Yeah. It's got really busy strange.
1: and never figured out what it
2: was. I but never have seen a smallmouth that looked like that before. So I might have to dig, but it's so rare. I mean, I, it's probably not. I never have seen it before. But I might I might do some more digging. I might post that picture on the Kentucky Field Instagram or Facebook or something like that. The the one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, I know Lee wanted to talk about muskie, and I'm interested in that too. But I'm currently moving to Louisville, which is uh, somewhat depressing. But at the same time, I've got the falls down there. And I've been getting out there and exploring them a little bit more. And I would like to try catfishing down there. And Lisa, do you know a lot about Ohio River catfishing? So, say as a, as a newbie, I've got a kayak, I can bank fish, I don't have a boat. What what could I do to put myself on like good catfish down there? I mean,
1: the falls is a great place to start. Uh-huh. Uh, the access is wonderful down there. Um, you know, we have a reciprocal license agreement with Indiana, so as long as you're on the bank fishing the main stem Ohio, you can't fish any of their creeks, yeah. but you can use a Kentucky license. Um, that place is, like I said, it's great access. Um, you know, if you're targeting, uh, let's just say you want to go after big blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my opinion, from our experience uh, running trot lines, mm-hmm. um, you know, we run those July through sometimes early September, just depending on how quick we can get it done and if the water cooperates. They've come off the spawn, mm-hmm. so they're hungry. Yeah, we like to use cut bait and we typically, and it needs to be fresh. You don't want frozen if you can avoid it. Um, and, and we like to use buffalo. You okay. know, w- we go out and collect buffalo uh, and, and we, we cut it up. Uh, we've used Asian carp when we were in a pinch. I've seen that work before. Worked, worked great. Um, with blue cats, typically you wanna be suspended a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, now that's gonna change from you know time to time. Uh, But, uh, you know, you want a good sturdy rod, um, you know, your choice of line, I'd use something that's at least 40 pound test, especially there in the tailwater area with a lot of rock and and stuff to get hung on. Yeah. Um, You could probably use like a three-way swivel. Yeah, a lot of people use a three-way swivel. Um, Maybe run braid. I'm not real familiar with a lot of what the rigs are called, uh, because I don't do a whole lot of catfishing myself. but. Man, if you get on YouTube or, or do some Googling, the catfishing world has really blown up lately. Uh, and, and there's all sorts of tutorials and, and and how to tie this and how to fish this, how to hook stuff. Um,
2: One thing that I saw recently, we did a show with uh, Jim Doom below Kentucky mm-hmm. Dam. And a rig that he uses is basically the heavy line. I would probably, if I was going to Ohio, use a braid, maybe a 30, 40, 50-pound braid, and run that to a three-way swivel, and then off that swivel run another length of braid to your hook, which would yep. be a circle hook of some kind, and then off the third leg run of that, and run your weight, and run your weight to off with like a 10-pound mono, or a you know a lighter weight line. So if you get hung up, that weight gets snagged up, you can break that, yeah. and not lose everything else, and then you can just retie your weight on there.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people. Uh, I've yet to see them in a store anywhere, but if you're familiar with drop shot weights Uh that just kind of pinch onto the line, and if that drop shot weight gets snagged, you you just lose the piece of lead or tungsten or whatever you're fishing. That makes sense. Uh, I've heard that they make those in heavier weights, uh, you know, pyramid weights
2: or egg egg sinkers. a lot of people need like two or three ounces to keep it on the bottom. Uh,
1: And a lot of times you'll see people using more than that. Um, Again, I'm not super familiar with the setup on that. but, man, there's plenty of information out there, yeah. uh, you know, plenty of websites. I'm not going to endorse any of them. But yeah. if you do a quick Google search, you'll find what you need. Um, but and, exper- and, and you can learn a lot. There's There's a lot of good people
2: out there that will – that'll help you out. The falls of the Ohio Facebook page is one that I've been looking at. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with that, but but you, in your experience you have, you have you shocked down there or along the Uh Ohio? we
1: typically don't shock the falls just because one the the changing uh, uh, depths and, and a lot of times if we're shocking for catfish, we're kind of going at high speeds if we have to chase after some fish. Yeah. Um, and two, there's it's always just there's almost always a lot of people when when we're sampling. That's true. So I don't like to get up there and cause any danger for anybody else that's up there. Or for ourselves, yeah. um, we we typically start a little bit further below just to avoid any conflict or you know dangerous situations. Gotcha.
2: Um, that makes that, sense. That falls can be a dangerous place. Yeah,
1: and Yeah. You know, if you're in a boat, you you need to have a good map. Uh, maybe go there with somebody that's got some experience, yeah. and you know if you've got good maps on your depth finder with some contours and and things, that
2: can definitely help. I know people that have sunk twenty-one foot. I mean big boats yep. right there at the falls before, and you need a reliable equipment too. Yeah, that's exactly We actually have. Have you watched the hybrid fishing piece yep. that we just yep. did? So uh, in, in that piece, where with Chino Ross and he's a guide, he actually we were hybrid fishing on the Ohio, and to get to the upper dam, which is where you know he was yep. hybrid fishing at, you got to run past the lower dam, yes. and there's some serious turbulent water coming through there. Yes. And Chino made mention that if he didn't have a reliable four stroke motor that he believed in, you would he just wouldn't be able to do it. So, I, I'm interested in kayak fishing it, which I know a lot of people do too. You can access it from the Falls of the Ohio State Park yep. and put in in slack water. Yeah. So, I've been thinking about doing something like that soon. When I finally get moved and I got a free weekend, I'm going to get out there and explore. It might not be for if a month. If the river ever goes down. Yeah, that's what I, was, I looked at the gauges <laughs> yesterday and it's projected to be like 43 four, feet. 43 feet tomorrow or something like uh,
1: that? Something. Yeah, it, just, that's where it's got crest at a, flood, as of right now.
2: Serious flood stage is 53. That's when they start to think about shutting the floodgates mm-hmm. so it's pretty dang high last time i went down there and fished it i think it was at 23 so you're talking about 20 feet higher above the lower dam than it yeah, was
1: yeah i'm not i've only fished it one time that i can remember and uh-huh. it was really low yeah um so as far as what the current does in there um in the area you're talking about uh, i don't have a lot of experience yeah. with kind of what's safe and what's not up there Again, I bet that Facebook page you were talking about yep. could probably give you an answer, though.
2: It's a tricky spot. And the reason it's tricky, because when I was thinking about going down there for the first time, I was calling people that fish it quite a bit. Cheno Ross, I called him. Rachel Croom, Scott Croom, people that know the falls. And basically, the way they explained it to me, there are four numbers that matter. You can call McAlpine, and there's a report on what the dam's doing. Yep. And the the thing about McAlpine is there are two dams, so upper dam and a lower dam. And the four numbers you get are the water level above each dam. So you'll get a water level for the upper and you get a water level for the lower. And that'll yep. tell you what the height is above those dams. And then there's also, they also tell you how many feet of dam they're running, which is what I don't understand yet. But the thing is the falls is below the upper dam and it's upstream of the lower dam. And it's kind of tricky because it's all dependent on if they're letting a bunch of water out of the lower dam, that's still going to raise the level. At the upper and it, it's kind of a tricky place I feel like you just have to
1: it's going to take some
2: experience I mean to, that's why I don't feel like I could go down there and fish it right now I'm probably gonna have to wait till the water levels get close to what they were when I fished it before yeah. so it's it's a it's a tricky place but it can also be one of the most productive places absolutely and some and of the catfish I mean, that come out of there are giant I'd love to go down there and get on a 40 or 50 pounder
1: well uh, I mean there's they're there to be yeah. Going after for yeah. sure. And
2: there's, I know there's a lot of the kind of the trophy catfishing is a hot topic down there. <laughs>
1: it, it is. We won't get into that right now. Yeah, but, well, somebody
2: uh, mentioned it earlier and, and I see the catfish that come out of the falls on Facebook. I, I follow that group. Like I said, and I see the catfish these guys are pulling out of there. And I mean, I'm pretty confident that if I wanted to go catch a big catfish that the Ohio river in that area would be the place I'd like to go try. So I'll say there's trophy catfish there for sure. I see them all the time. So yeah. anyway, I, I've got to go eat lunch. I don't know about you. I usually eat at 11 and it's a, let's see, it's a 12 right now. I can always eat. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on, Jay. Yeah, no uh, problem. We'll have to to get you back on and talk again sometime soon. I know Lee wants to talk about the stream muskie and that's something I'm interested in too. So at some point when Lee's available, we'll get you back down and uh, talk a little bit more. Sounds good. Appreciate it.